That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been uh, watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week, we are talking, obviously, our two usuals, uh, a gory found footage film, the Ooh. sweetest movie that I have ever seen, and a black vampire movie. The sweetest movie you have ever seen. I know. It's not a horror movie, but I have to talk about it. Well, I also have a movie that I really want to talk about that's not horror either. So this works out perfectly, but Yay! I want to hear about this gory found footage film. Okay, so this gory found footage film, um, let me paint you a picture. It's mm. Valentine's Day. Steve and I are in our sweatpants. <laughs> he just made cheese soup, which is literally just malted cheese with butter, mm. and it's delicious. What kind of cheese? Lots and lots of sharp cheddar. <gasps> the best kind of cheese, in other words. Yes. So basically, he's like... It's it's this monstrosity that he makes every couple of years that like sits like a brick in your stomach, but it's so good. <laughs> so yeah. of course that was our Valentine's Day food, and to pair with it, we decided to watch Frankenstein's Army, which is a 2013 found footage film directed by Richard Raporst. Um, it is it was one of the production companies is X Y Z Films, which I find I was like oh that's kind of cool. Um, it is streaming on Amazon, and basically it's a war movie, kind of. So it, it takes place during World War II, and the end of World War II, and it's a squad of Russian soldiers going to East Germany to locate missing comrades. And so it's like a squadron of soldiers, and there's a guy who's filming it for like for the great leadership, for the great leaders, so they can have like all of this proof that Russian soldiers... Russian <laughs> Russian soldier. So uh, this guy is following Russian soldiers to find their fallen comrades. And when they've got, they arrive to a place where there was a signal, they find some really awful things where uh, dead people are put into these giant machines and made into horrific, like 
being monster things and it's led by a nazi doctor i I mean as as As, one does as one does um you know i've seen this poster i didn't realize it was found footage but i remember seeing this poster because it's kind of a an evocative poster the guy the guy on the stilts Mm mm-hmm I okay so this movie is insane and it's dumb but it's it's dumb in a great way because it's like it's the kind of found footage movie that's like you wanted monsters here's the motherfucking monsters like it does <laughs> not try to like only do like a one th- like a one like oh maybe there's a monster it's just like full-on gore monsters weirdos like the guy on the stilts and the poster is in there walking around i think he's so cute like there's a guy that looks like pinhead at one point it's like yeah. it's, the monster design is on point like it's so good and i i was worried it was going to be one of those movies that's like monsters but not really but this is full-on gore monster is like maybe one of the goriest found footage movies i've ever seen because found footage isn't usually gory no it it's very much like flashing to stuff so um yeah i'm looking at all these uh these screenshots on imdb of all these monsters and it it looks wild it's really good it's really fun i think it's really fun i mean like it's it's a monster movie, but it's like, it's so, it's short. It feels like you're playing Wolfenstein. Um, <laughs> we were eating dinner while we were watching it, which was a bad call because pretty early on, someone gets cut open and their intestines fall out. And like, I was mid bite. Nice. So, like, that was probably not the best decision, but like, <laughs> these monsters are so cool. So, um, that's an Amazon Prime. And I recommend I recommend that for any found footage person. It is just gory fun. I'm not saying it's a masterpiece by any means, but again, it looks fun. Just from these screenshots, fun. it's just like full balls to the wall. Like let's just put like there's one point there's like this giant cauldron type thing, and it just looks like a cauldron. And you look at it, and it's got little boy legs on it, and it starts waddling around. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's like dark. It's like dark dark comedy at some points too because okay. the monsters are so ridiculously constructed that you like kind of laugh at them because it's like a it's a nazi scientist who is like i'm just gonna fuck around and see what i can do nice so that's frankenstein's army very highly recommend that and then on the complete opposite side of the coin <laughs> um is the sweetest movie i've ever seen i watched it last night and it's called minari minari you've probably heard about it everyone in the universe has probably already seen it minari is a film coming out this year um a24 did screenings of it and i bought a ticket for the first time in forever to watch a movie to watch it online and it was worth it because minari is the most beautiful film it's directed by lee isaac chung and it's this it's basically his childhood adapted into a film about his Korean American family, then they moved to an Arkansas farm to create their own version of the American dream. Mm. And it's like, I'm going to get emotional just talking about it because it's so sweet and well made. And it's the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous the way they film like the woods and the grass around their home. And the family dynamic is so fascinating. And there's a really spicy grandma who is so funny and sweet. And there's this beautiful relationship that develops between her and their youngest son. David, who was played by the cutest boy I've ever seen, who wears cowboy boots the whole movie. And it's just such a tender, beautiful film about wanting to 
fulfill the American dream, but not from like a white perspective. And this movie is nominated for best foreign language. It was like almost shortlist for best foreign language film, which is like, I mean, we all know this, but it like, it's an absolute fucking travesty. This is an American movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, they speak Korean, but who gives a shit? It all takes place in the U S it's all about a man who wants to achieve the American dream and be like, the successful white people like he wants to avoid having to do a, like a bad job for the rest of his life so he can provide for his family and be free like it's and it, just it's it's an american production it was filmed in america it is an american movie it's not a it's an american movie. movie it's not a yeah i'm like sorry they speak korean like who gives a shit whatever that's frustrating but regardless of that bullshit it it like everyone has been saying how good it is i was like is it gonna be that good it is um <laughs> It I'm was. glad to hear it because, like, I, I've wanted to see it. Um, I mean, I love, I love Stephen Ewan. Like he and like he doesn't miss again. Like he is like everyone in this movie is like they they are bringing like more than their A game, and he's incredible. Um, the woman, um, Han Yuri, who plays the mom, she is she is a fucking like I want more people talking about her as the mom and like her portrayal of what it means to be a mom and like when you don't want to support mm. your husband as much mm. anymore so but it's like it's sad but it's also very much hopeful which i love like it doesn't it teeters on that edge of wanting to be like oh this is so sad but it's never like oh tragedy oh trauma it's more just very realistic and showing like yeah right. there's sadness but that sadness doesn't lessen the love everyone has for each other which keeps it feeling like so more so much more human and like realistic so yeah see it, everybody please it's so good i'm like getting emotional just thinking about it so is it is that was that like a one night only type thing for right now no they were doing a bunch of screen like online screenings a24 was doing a bunch of online screenings um i think they are all sold out now mm. but i th i'm almost positive it's i thought it was hitting like vod sometime in the spring okay but they keep changing like the date. But when it comes out near near everyone, it's just beautiful and touching. So I I'm glad to please. hear it because I'm yeah. So you know, it's one of those movies where it's like everyone's been like hyping it up, and I'm always afraid that it's not going to live up to the hype. But it sounds like from yeah. a bunch of people, and you included, that like it's it really is living up to that. So I'm I'm excited. Yeah, it really is. So Minari, awesome. everybody, please watch it. You'll cry, yeah. you'll smile, no. you'll feel like you're being hugged. As as they say in Midsummer, do you feel held by him? And yes, I feel held by Minari. <laughs> um, so Terry, I know you watched a horror movie, but you also watched a movie that is not horror. And I'd love to hear about that first, since I talked about Minari. Yes. Oh my gosh. So this weekend, <laughs> um, I, on a lark, was like, okay. This movie has Kristen Wiig in it. It uh, it has Jamie Dornan in it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I'll give this one a, a go, even though it's a twenty dollar rental. I was like, I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. And I knew virtually nothing about it. It's Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, <laughs> and the only thing I knew about it was that it's written by Annie uh, Mumolo. And Kristen okay. Wiig, and they both star as Barb and Star. And I, I, all I knew was that they were going, that they were Midwestern divorcees from like old and like uh, around like the middle age, 
bracket, and they were going to Vista Del Mar for vacation, hijinks would pr- presumably ensue. What I didn't know is that I was really confused why it opened up on a shot of this of this little kid that's delivering papers on his bike um, <laughs> with head with a headset on, and he is just dancing to this music and lip syncing to this music and having a good time as he is throwing papers, and then he walks into. A, a room that takes an elevator down to a secret lab that belongs to a woman named Dr. Lady who has this plan to destroy Vista Del Mar through genetically modified uh, mosquitoes. What? Yeah. <laughs> this is as if two old West Midwestern middle-aged women walked into the set of an Austin Powers movie. Where Kristen Rigg is playing both Dr. Lady, this evil, nefarious, um, albino-looking evil doctor who was smeared at one point in her childhood from Vista Del Mar. And so has fat- made these genetically modified mosquitoes that she plans to unleash at, a, at, at their annual celebration and kill everyone on the beach. And she has an assistant played by Jamie Dornan that is absolutely in love with her and she wants nothing to do with him, but she just sort of drags him along. He ends up befriending and having a, a threesome at one point with Barb and Star. It's PG-13, so they don't show anything. I feel like this should have been rated R, but that's... Oh, Ugh, but fine. So, but Jamie Dornan, this is the first time that I've ever seen him with a lot of charisma. I loved him in this role. I think he is having a blast. There's one point where he sings. He goes into a musical number, like a full-on, on-the-beach mis- musical number. Everyone is saying that this is the first time I've seen him have, like, personality and, like, really, like, let loose and yeah. be funny and, like, not some, like, scary, stiff man. No. So, And this wow. movie is a wild ride. I'm telling you, it reminds me of those movies that would come out at towards the, like, the early 2000s that were, like, a bunch of SNL alums that were go out and do, like, either, you know, Zoolander or they'd do Austin Powers or they would do, um, you know, like... uh the Dewey Cox or, you know, something like oh, a yes. little, a little off the beaten path. And like, you have to be on a certain wavelength with this because I think a lot of people will think this movie is really dumb, but it is <laughs> absurd in a, in a degree to which I, someone who doesn't really laugh by himself, if I'm, I like to laugh if I'm at a movie in movie theaters. But I like, don't if I'm, laugh. <laughs> if I'm by myself and I'm watching a movie, I will be like, Oh, that's pretty funny, but I'll, mm-hmm. I won't laugh. But this movie had me cackling. I loved it so much. Um, I definitely think for me it was worth a twenty dollar rental. I hell yeah loved it. I'm so ex- okay. I'm so excited to watch this movie. I've heard so many good things about it. And after watching Minari last night, I was like, I should probably watch more uplifting things. I didn't realize how much I needed Minari and not watching death all the time. Um, so maybe <laughs> Barb and Star go to Del Mar will be one of my next viewings because oh. it looks so dumb and fun. It is so dumb. I love but it. But it is so much but, fun. But like, that's what we deserve right now. Yes. This is the movie that I needed right now. Yes. I, and I look, I love Austin Powers, like especially the first one. So when you said Austin Powers, I was like, yep, sign me the fuck up for this. It's so silly. Hell yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear it. Uh, but like transitioning in a completely, <laughs> completely <laughs> different direction. I also watched Ganja and Hess finally. Ooh. Oh, my. What? Did you think of Ganja and Hess? I uh, loved it. It got me thinking so much about 
so so much cinema that has been or that was on the verge of being lost to time because I remember this one was one of those kind of lost movies, and then all of a sudden like it's showing up with like a restoration in the early two thousands, and people have like rediscovered it after it came out in seventy three. So after so many years, are are rediscovering it, and boy. Mm-hmm. Did I love what this movie was selling? It's right. I mean, I mean it's basically like it, it's a story of this uh, this doctor who gets stabbed with this. He has a he has an assistant that stabs him with a knife, and he ends up contracting vampirism. He kills the guy, or the guy actually kills himself that that stabbed the doc the doctor, and then he stuffs his body in a freezer. And then the guy's wife, who is played by Marlene Clark and is absolutely amazing and hilarious mm-hmm. and serving me all of that kind of sass that I I love seeing in movies comes in and they end up having this like romance but and it becomes it uses vampirism as like a way of tackling like addiction and it got me thinking of what what is the first movie that actually like I mean vampires have always been sort of like that kind of sexy thing and it's it's always about sex and stuff but like what what is the first movie that tackled it as an and as as an addiction like as a metaphor for addiction because i think this is might be the Mm. oldest movie i've seen that's done that i'm thinking you might be right actually because though i'm doing research for something and a lot of my research is looking at addiction like addiction and vampirism and that really it made a huge rise during the 80s because of aids epidemic and heroin so that i mean like it started there but i think you're if it's not what it's not the first, it's like probably one of the first ones. I think, at least in what I have seen, and looking I mean, at addiction before before this, I've I've always seen vampirism as more of like the kind of gothic thing, and they're just going for like the mm-hmm. standard retellings of of Dracula over and over and over again. And I, I'm trying to think of like the early, the you know, the '60s, the Hammer movies, or like even back to like the Dracula with uh, the Universal monsters. I don't, I don't know if i've ever seen a movie until in my mind it was until like you said the 80s that it became like this big thing but i mean this might be the first movie at least one of them huh i think it definitely is at least one of them i'm also not as as like well versed on vampires like pre-1970 for no other reason other than i'm just not and dwayne jones is in it (laughs) yeah oh my god oh my god hot so hot in this movie i love this movie i think it's one that you must i think you must see it i think you must uh go search it out it's phenomenal uh it's it's so you know okay what got me what got me kind of frustrated not with the movie but i you know i've been thinking about this a lot recently with like who should write about movies and who can write about movies and I think about a lot with like queer movies where it kind of frustrates me sometimes where like a lot, there's a lot of straight people commenting on it. And it's not so much Mm -hmm. the fact that that there's a lot of straight people commenting on it. It's that when I go do a search for reviews on movies, all I find are straight people talking about queer movies. And I ran into this problem with Ganja and Hess where Mm -hmm. I went to go Google reviews for this movie because I was curious what, um, black critics thought about this movie. And after three pages, I gave up of Google searches because every single one was a white man and three pages of Google searches about this movie. Great. And that's frustrating to me. That's frustrating to me. Yeah. Cause I don't care what random white guy thinks about this movie. This, I want to know what black critics thought. And so I like, I went to, you know, Ashley's website, but like the fact that a Google search does not turn up in three pages 
in three pages, a single black critic was frustrating. Yeah, especially because like a lot of this movie also has to do with like African diaspora and identity mm. and kind mm-hmm. of processing African identity through like I guess it flashback. I can't I'm, I haven't seen it in a bit, but it's like flashbacks and kind of these like moments of like kind of feverish visions, yeah. I guess. But it's about processing identity. And so yeah. like and I don't and the thing is like I found out about this movie through horror noir and I mm-hmm. wouldn't have known that about the African identity if I hadn't watched that documentary because I'm right. a white person who doesn't. And like, this is why we need more, like an, just another fucking reason on top of the pile that like, Hey, black critics should be the voices talking about these movies because there's a lot in it that white people probably don't think about. Exactly. Or like have as, as it doesn't, don't have such a connection to and don't see it as as important. And so I, I guess what, what it, it, it just like further enhanced my thoughts that it's not so much that I, I, I don't prescribe to like only a queer person should review queer art or yeah. whatever. But the problem is, is that when you go look at something and you can't find a single person in a Google search in three pages that this movie was yes. for, you can't find a black critic talking about a black movie or you, or you wouldn't be able to find a queer critic at, at some points talking about a queer movie. It's that kind of stuff where it's like, we need more space for these critics. We need to be able to boost them up because otherwise you get three fucking pages of white dudes talking about this 1973 black movie. And that's great that people are finding it and they're talking about it, but where are the black critics in Google? It's, it's frustrating to me. Yes. 100%. I agree because like I don't know whatever I <laughs> um but did you see, did you see the sweet blood of Jesus the Spike Lee remake No I, I someone brought that up when I said that I was I was watching that cuz this was this was my um uh, Valentine's Day plan. This was one of three movies that I watched for, for Valentine's yeah. Day and uh someone someone posted or replied to it and and mentioned that that Spike uh Spike Lee had 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 redid it as, as the sweet blood of Jesus. And so it's on my list to watch. I really want to watch it um, next. I just didn't have time before this cool. recording, but oh, no, yeah. that's, I want to watch that. And I want to watch um, demon night. Yes. The, uh, I Tales need to watch the both of those. I didn't realize that the sweet blood of Jesus was from 2014. I don't know why I thought it was a later movie. So, but yeah, Ganja is Ganja and has still on shutter. Um, yes, that's how I watched it. It is also okay. on, I mean, I think most of our listeners probably have Shudder, but it's also, if you are a Showtime uh, member, it's also, I noticed, streaming on like Amazon and whatnot through their Showtime channel. So it's probably on there as well, if you don't have it. All right. Let's take a wrong turn. <clears throat> yes. Into the final of the original run, aka Last Resort. Okay, sorry. So I have. Uh, what do we say about this movie? I mean, I, I guess know. I'll start with the. I, I want to run this this plot synopsis by you, Mary Beth, okay. and, and 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 get your take on if I kind of captured what this movie is about. <clears throat> okay. All right. <laughs> Wrong turn six. Last resort is about a British man who inherits a Bulgarian palace. He's British. He's British. Who inherits oh. a Bulgarian palace in the middle of Appalachia, run by a pair of British and Californian cousins who want to make incestual love with the new owner, who is also related to them. Also, there's cannibals. Yeah, you got it right. I think. British? Yes. 
the, the amount really of, British? Yes, the amount of British people in this movie is um is is kind of funny. I find I find it very funny. Um okay. because yeah, the main character is British, his cousin, okay. the male the male cousin is British, the woman is from California. And you have so you have a a wild range of um accents in this movie of there's a Texarkana guy randomly in here. There is a there are people from California, there's British, and then there's the Bulgarians playing uh the um cannibals. Yeah, this movie sucks. Yes. I feel almost bad saying that because this movie has the most wild premise, like you just said. Like this guy goes to Appalachian Mountains in air quotes in the most un Appalachian looking place I've ever seen. <laughs> to get, inherit this hotel and he gets in, and he finds out that he is like the target for like a sex thing with all these cannibals, like these it, it's incestuous family. And it's all revealed like, re- like relatively well. And it's like, holy shit, but it's so boring. It's so boring. No movie like this should be boring. It's I'm almost impressed with how boring they made this movie. Like it's almost an accomplishment. <laughs> it really is. Like would would you would you look at what what is happening in this movie and when you get text from Mary Beth if you're lucky enough to get text from Mary Beth it's like <laughs> talking about wait. 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 You think this should be a movie that is exciting because it is about so many taboo sexual things. It's a very horny movie. I think this one has the most sex of any of the the wrong turns impressively. Like, hats off to you. It uh, ends mid-sex scene. <laughs> Who between does a man that? and his cousin. Who doesn't have a leg? <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's right. And again, that's not to be an ableist thing about her not having a leg. It's more just like she lost the leg and they made this huge like to do of her coming out in the wheelchair and him like putting her leg in the stirrup and making it look like, Oh my God, look, he's moving her stump. And it's like, it's just like very bizarre. That's the only reason I bring it up is because they made it so obvious that she was now dis- like had a disability. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is so- the, the notes I have for this movie, I took too many notes, which is, I don't know why, but I think it was mostly just like trying to understand all of the things this movie was trying to do. Um, I didn't understand it. I think it was just a bunch of things put into a blender. Yeah. And it was gross, like a gross smoothie that looked like all the ingredients looked yummy. And then somehow it came out gross. Yeah. I, yeah. You, you know, the, the, <laughs> I think the most interesting thing about this movie, other than the, the bizarro plot, if you were to describe it to someone is the fact that this movie got pulled from, release because they and there's a there's a scene where the where they go to like the village and there's missing persons reports well apparently they used a real missing person report of someone from ireland and they put the picture Uh. in there and they sued and so um they pulled this movie from release and so now i don't know if you noticed this if you were paying attention or not um because i wouldn't blame you if, if you zoned out at certain points in this movie all of the pictures that aren't of cast members are blurred, at least in the in the release that I saw. So the wall of missing photos are all blurred. There's a scene, there's a plot point actually, where they're showing um, the main character his his like 
disturbed inbred family. And all those pictures were blurred out in, in this copy that I, that I, I was watching on, on iTunes. They have blurred out everything that is not the main cast. I don't know if that was, if I saw that in mine, but I also watched mine in, um, <laughs> a not so savory way. Yeah. So I'm not sure, but I did not notice that. Also, I, I can't, I, I cannot say that I was paying full on, full blown attention to this movie while I was what? watching it. Like, I it can't, wasn't riveting? I, can, I cannot ri- say that I was riveted by this film. So. Although I will say that I did rewind it at the first point where the two caretakers of the place he's talking about, we play this right sister who won't be able to resist you. And then he kisses her on the mouth and says, Lord knows I can't. And I had to but like I, rewind it. Like, wait, wait, did I, did I hear that? Me right? too. I was like, I it's literally the exact, I texted Terry. I was like, wait, they're brother and sister. And I was like, and we were both like, we had to rewind to make sure like that was what I heard. And also five and six have just forgotten that this is about the three cannibal brothers and they're not yeah. really wrong turn movies they no. just feel like movies that someone wanted to make and they put the brothers in the background to put wrong turn on it but like it's so dumb like it's not wrong turn and not that wrong turn was that amazing <laughs> to begin with but at least like the first couple are like fun and gory and stupid like there's not like some like agenda that like oh yeah there's a whole family that is like i just want to fucking kill no, now it's like, oh, they're in charge of the brothers, but the, and so the brothers are just puppets that are like shooted like idiots. And that just makes the ableism of the series even worse because they're treated like shit family and scare quotes. Cause like Doug Bradley in the last one, I don't know who the fuck he was and what the fuck that was. So like, it's just, it's very bizarre. It's just a weird thing. So that's yeah. wrong turn six. That's wrong turn six. And we just have. One more movie to go. And boy, oh boy. I'm really excited to talk about this, uh, the remake next week. Um, yeah. Sorry, that's me singing. Yes, I'm very, it's, I can't wait to spend almost two hours watching a wrong turn movie. <laughs> I cannot wait. So we'll and see, we'll we see, will, we'll see how that goes. Yes. And then we will give our final rankings of this <laughs> semi abomination of a series. It's a, it's been fascinating to watch, I will say. Yes. Yes. But, so, man, I can't wait to talk about this remake. I am very excited. Okay, so besides, we took we took a wrong motherfucking turn. Mm. But then we're going to make a right turn into Giallo. And we watched, we continued our look into Argento's Animal Trilogy with The Cat O Nine Tales. Yeah. And what is this one about, Mary Beth? <sighs> boring. Um, I mean, it's not boring. I'm sorry. I'm just laughing because it's like I'm trying to think of how to explain it because it sounds ridiculous when you explain this movie like all giallo. <laughs> so basically, a news reporter mm-hmm. who gets mixed up in a – who surprisingly gets mixed up in a, in a murder. That never happens. Um, never happens. Pairs up with a – blind scientist or a blind scientist not scientist he used to be a journalist to solve a crime about that involves genetics and someone with a syndrome called xyy syndrome which might suggest who might have criminal tendencies and they just like go on from there trying to find the killer Again, it sounds cool. Like, there's like a genetic uh, angle to it, and there's a killer who's linked to this, like genetic geneticist, and like what does it mean? But 
I think because I've watched so many giallos, I'm like, this is kind of this is like definitely one of the more boring ones we've watched. It's it's very slow. Um, I do think that it is an attempt to kind of tackle the sort of um, espionage because like it's it's about yeah, it's sort of about corporate espionage. And it's sort of like, yeah, I don't know. It feels a little bit more elevated in that regard than like a, a typical giallo where someone is 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 stalking women of the city where like, you know, that kind of thing. So it feels like they're trying to make it into a sort of like international spy thriller of sorts mm-hmm. in a way while still being yeah. a giallo. Yeah. And the thing with me is I don't like spy movies too. Like I don't like espionage things. Like I'm not a big James Bond person. And so that might have been part of why I was like, this is just not doing it for me. It's also, I think, it's it's from the ones that we've seen of Argento or well Giallo in general, but but Argento specifically, it's probably the most cohesive story. But it's yeah. also probably the least exciting one. I would agree with that. And they do. Just- oh Jesus Christ! Um, <laughs> sorry, the cat once again. I I will say that there are a couple things that did make me laugh. One was I think his name is Gigi. He's the lock picker. Mm, mm-hmm. And I just love that scene where it's like almost it's like comedic when he's like pulling all of the the lock picking like implements out of his like shirt and sleeves. And it that just cracked me up for no for no other reason other than like, of course, this is this weird moment in a Giamma movie. I love the way they talk about sex in uh, the oh my opening. God. Oh, my God. Where he's like, <laughs> they come here, they have a pretty nurse, they make them do a little something and bing, bang. Then they, they study the liquid. And the the reporter responds, this Big Bang thing, is that all they do? (laughs) Oh, they can't say that this dude jerks off and they study his semen. No, they say Bing Bang, this Bing Bang thing. Bing Bang. (laughs) Okay, speaking of liquid, gross, I know. The, uh, the milk scenes when he's like, do you oh. want a glass of milk to his lover? What's with the milk? Why the milk? But also it's just so bizarre how it's like also the sex with them is very bizarre in terms of like making lo- like 780 people are making love like ju- this second. And it's just all very scientific, which mm-hmm. I guess kind of goes with the, the tone of the movie. But it's very uncanny at moments i will say i did write one of my notes was milk the after sex drink keep the question mark strong and i did i loved how he couldn't pay attention to the fact that the milk is like <laughs> spilling everywhere they have pouches and the whole idea is that the killer is like inserted poison into the pouches and because it inserted the poison into it with like a needle, it is like literally leaking everywhere. And this dumbass dude is not noticing that his counter is now covered in white milk. I was like, are you done? Like, I was like, is everything okay? Is he like shaking? Like what is going on? And then I realized there was poison in it. But I was just like, this is such a bizarre moment with those cartons of milk. And he's like, hey, I brought milk. Do you want some? <laughs> if anyone offered me milk anytime, like especially after sex, I'd be like, "Are you okay?" Like, and the way he pours the milk, it's like going it's- everywhere. And I'm like, "Do you not live here, sir?" Right? I, it was like it was like it felt like the first take of a commercial where someone's pouring milk and they were nervous. Like it did not feel like someone who was pouring a drink for his lover, but it was someone just pouring milk who had never poured milk before. It was just very strange. It just 
I, the tone was weird. I think the like the like you said they, the the espionage angle is interesting, not for me, but it's interesting, and it was kind of cool, like this X Y Y syndrome thing, but also making criminality a syndrome. Well, that was one of those things that was ripped from like the headlines at that time because there were studies in like the late '60s where they had done some testing in a prison cell and found out that a huge percentage of the prisoners had this uh, cr- chromosomal abnorm- abnormality. And so it became like this whole thing where people thought that that was a way that you could tell if someone was deviant. Yay, the 60s and 70s. Yay. But I also know there was a scene that specifically you wanted to talk about, Terry, yes. right, in this movie? So we talk about, like, I, okay, so we talked about in Ganshin Hess how, like, it's, it's frustrating when we can't find um, – critics talking about a movie that is made for for them or that is made by um black people or or queer people but this movie has like a queer character in it and Mm -hmm. i what i always do when i find that is like oh have people written about this because i'm always i'm always excited if if i see something that there is queer representation and it's not negative so i had googled Mm -hmm. this and i came across surprisingly um that just last year um Joe Lipset, my riding buddy and one of the horror queers, was doing his horror bucket list with Michael Verratti, uh, both Ah. friends of the show and former guests on the show, too. And they were talking about the the queer angle to this, because there is a moment where they go, where the the detective goes to a gay bar called the St. Peter's Club. And Mm -hmm. what I loved about this was that it's presenting queerness in such a refreshing light in the night in 1971 at a time like i don't remember exactly when homosexuality became legal because there was a time where it was illegal and so the fact that Mm -hmm. but and i believe it was either like the 60s or 70s in a lot of places and so the the fact that you have in 1971 this character walk into a gay bar that is like it's 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 beautiful. It's a nice gay bar. It's just people mm-hmm. sitting around and, and talking and he gets flirted with and he doesn't have a negative response to it. He's like told, no. you know, you have very beautiful eyes. And he, his response is, oh, you really think so? Like that is the response. It's not yeah. revulsion. It's not like him, like punching him. There's no violence. It is like, oh, well, that's that's it's that's nice of you to say. It's refreshing. It is refreshing, and that this isn't framed either as like a spectacle with like a bunch of guys in leather dancing around. Like those clubs obviously exist, but you know, a lot of the time, those kinds of clubs are a spectacle mm-hmm. for a straight character to go into. And it's like, oh my gosh, look at how gay it is! But here, it's like it's a club. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like it's trying to like be totally like this is a gay club, but like hey, this is just like another club. It's much more carefully portrayed rather than seen as something that's like ghastly which like you said it's so refreshing it's just like and i wanted i wanted to highlight this thing that michael Verratti said in this in this article where he's like it's even more significant because it's a really a secondary detail dr braun who's the gay scientist that the mm-hmm. um the, the reporter's going to meet is a scientist who happens to be gay and going to speak with him at a gay bar is just a matter of course he's not defined solely by a sexual orientation which was so common for yeah. queers in cinema at this time it's just another aspect of, of his person, and he's treated like a real person. And I I love that. I do, too. And, like, I so I just pulled up the scene again to refresh my memory. And it isn't, like, a club. It's actually a bar. It's just, like, yeah. a bar with brick. And, like, it's very calm and just, like, 
there are some drag queens, I think, or trans women as well. And But again, it's not like played for jokes. It's just like people hanging out at a bar. Yeah. And it is really, it is really refreshing. And we've talked about that a couple times with with Argento in particular. Argento in particular and his representation of queerness in his films. So there feels like there is always like some grain of queerness in his movies. Mm-hmm. But not in an, not not really in like an exploitative way. So that is really really interesting to think about. Yeah. And to acknowledge and I'm glad that they talked about it. I'm so glad that two queer people <laughs> Yeah. two gay men were able to like talk about and that and came up in a Google search. Yay. <laughs> so thank you, Google. Yay. We have a gay also, bar scene that's not meant to be someone like titillating crazy moment. It's just a gay yeah. bar. Plus, um, also, James Franciscus plays the main character and he, we've talked about a movie that he's been in. We talked about him in uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. He was the main character in that. No shit. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Small world. <laughs> small genre <laughs> world so that's what we have been watching and enjoying this week but before we wrap it up terry who are we talking to on monday so on monday we are talking with uh jordan graham the writer director editor producer <laughs> cinematographer he has a list of things that he did for this film that's like a mile long um but the director and writer mostly of Seder. So that movie is currently playing, and we recommend you watching it before you find out the what the fuckery of the backstory. Yes, you've probably seen me tweeting up a, tweeting up a storm about this movie. It's so fucking good. Please give it a watch um, before you listen to the interview. It's beautiful. It's weird. It's like an A24 movie, but better. Um, if you like Hereditary, you will probably enjoy this movie. I ha- I get some Hereditary vibes, and that's not to be like, oh, this is like the next Hereditary. It just has similar kind of vibes to it. So if you are at all interested in that, this is much slower than Hereditary, mm-hmm. but I think it's worth it. And we're talking about Terminator 2. Oh my god, guys. It's so fun. Terminator 2. Oh my gosh. It is a very, I mean, we always say it's a good conversation. We're never going to be like, is this a shitty conversation? <laughs> Can you imagine? Fuck yeah, this episode. Monday, Don't this, listen this, to it. It's going to be a terrible conversation. Yay. No, but, but it's a it's good conversation. Like, it is really fun. Well, because one, the story behind Seder is absolutely like so complicated and weird. And this whole movie is very personal. And then also Terminator 2 fucking slaps. So, yeah. It's just a, a good amalgamation of things for Monday. So get excited. And then what are we doing for Little Cuts next week? For Little Cuts, we are obviously finishing Wrong Turn. And we are also finishing Dario's, uh, Dario Argento's Animal Trilogy. And we're going to be watching Four Flies on Grey Velvet, oh, which is very yes. hard to find. So It really well, is. Comparatively speaking to a lot of the other Giallo it's we've not- been watching. It's not legally streaming anywhere. Um, there is a Blu-ray. <sighs> I ordered the Blu-ray. It came today. Can't wait to watch it. It's not It's not an, an easier place to watch, but we felt like we've already watched the first two. We might as well finish the trilogy. Yeah, yeah I watched the first two seconds to make sure I had the right version, and it's just someone playing the drums, throwing drumsticks around. So I'm excited for whatever we have in store for us <laughs> with this one. So yes, that is, that is the plan for uh, next week's Little Cuts. But everyone, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Have you watched any of the things that we've talked about and have some thoughts you want to share? Um, do you have anything that you want us to talk about? 
uh, send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And if you've gotten this far in the podcast and haven't followed at Scarred Podcast on Twitter, then what are you doing with what your you life? What are you even doing? What are you even doing? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. We did get a new review, and it was really nice to see. So thank you. I thank you so much. I I also just like changed it up on you, Terry. I didn't mean to throw you off. You did. Off. I was <laughs> like, wait. <laughs> How do spicy. I respond? <laughs> um, anyway, thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay safe out there. Please, especially our friends in Texas, please, mm. please stay safe out there and try to stay creepy. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I keep changing it. You do. <laughs> and until next time. Bye. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.